by this time, I apprehend, the intelligent reader will be able to answer scripturally the question, What is that which has the power of death? And he will doubtless agree that it is the exceedingly great sinner, sin, in the sense of the law of sin and death, within all the posterity of Adam, without exception. This, then, is Paul's diabolos, which he says has the power of death. Which power, he also saith, is sin, the sting of death. But why doth Paul style sin diabolos? The answer to this question will be found in the definition of the word. Diabolos is derived from diabolo, which is compounded of dia, a preposition, which in composition signifies across, over, and answers to the Latin trance, and of ballo, to throw, cast, and intransitively, to fall, tumble. Hence, diabolo is to throw over or across, and intransitively, like the Latin, triicera, to pass over, to cross, to pass. This being the signification of the parent verb, the noun diabolos is the name of that which crosses or causes to cross over or falls over. Diabolos is therefore a very fit and proper word by which to designate the law of sin and death, or sin's flesh. The Eternal Spirit drew a line before Adam and said, Thou shalt not cross or pass over that line upon pain of evil and death. That line was the Eden law. On the east of that line was the answer of a good conscience, friendship with God, and life without end. But on the west, fear, shame, misery, and death. To obey was to maintain the position in which he was originally placed. To disobey, to cross over the line, forbidden. But he was drawn away and enticed by his own lusts. The narrative of Moses proves this. The man was enticed of his own lust to cross over the line or to disobey the law, so that his own lust is the diabolos. Thus, etymology and doctrine agreeing, our definition must be correct. But diabolo has secondary and ternary significations. It signifies to traduce, to attack character, to slander, to libel, and thirdly, to deceive, mislead, impose upon. Hence, diabolos will also signify a traducer, slanderer, 
deceiver, imposter. In this sense, Judas is styled a diabolos. John 6 verse 70. So also the pious scribes and Pharisees, priests and rulers, who, though as priests officially holy, were, as Jesus said, of Father the Diabolos, and the lusts of their father, the flesh, they would do. The same was a man-killer from the beginning, and stood not in the truth, because truth is not in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own things, for he is a liar, and the father of it. John 8 verse 44 And he that committeth sin is of the diabolos, for the diabolos sinneth from the beginning. 1 John 3 verse 8 All this is perfectly intelligible when understood of sin's flesh, in which dwells no good thing, and which of itself can neither do right nor think aright. Man's ability to do either is derived from a higher source, from the truth indoctrinated into him. When this is declared and reasoned into him, and he comes to understand it, to believe it, and to love it, a power is set up within him called the law of the spirit of life, which is counteractive of the law of sin and death, and brings the man to the obedience of faith, by which he is manifested to the skilful in the word as a son of God. The disobedient are all of Father Diabolos, and his spirit, which is the spirit of the flesh, works in them. Hence the clergy Jewish and Gentile, are all of what they call the devil, being ignorant and consequently disobedient of the gospel of the kingdom. But Diabolos is discoursed of in scripture in its imperial as well as racial manifestations. John says, For this purpose... The Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the Diabolos. 1 John 3 verse 8 When the Diabolos and his works are destroyed, every curse will have ceased. Revelation 22 verse 3 The works of the Diabolos are the works of sin. Look into the world, ecclesiastical and civil, and the reader will see sin's works on every side. The thrones, dominions, principalities and powers, Greek, Latin, Mohammedan, pagan, Protestant, sectarian, and infidel superstitions of all names and denominations, are all the works of sin, which festers and ferments in all the children of disobedience. They are all based upon the transgression of the divine law and are all officered and sustained by the children of the Diabolos.
The Messiah's mission is to destroy them all. John the baptizer proclaimed this in pointing to Jesus and saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, which by Paul and John the Apostle is interpreted as the Son of God that destroys the Diabolos and his works, the flesh and all its institutions. For the time comes at the end of the thousand years when flesh and blood nature will be abolished from the earth, and by consequence all evil and death, the last enemy, which are its wages in all the earth. The fourth beast of Daniel is the symbol of the Diabolos in imperial manifestation. It represents the kingdom of men upon the whole habitable, which in the days of John, in regard to the fourth beast, extended from the Tigris to the Atlantic, and from the Rhine, the Danube, and the Euxine to the Atlas Mountains and Upper Egypt, the Mediterranean, lying in the midst. Since the Apostles' time, the territory of this dominion has been greatly extended by the addition of Germania and all the Russias. Upon this platform, the kingdom of men mainly rests. It is the kingdom of sin, or the empire of the Diabolos, which has passed through various constitutional phases, but always in harmony with its diabolism. This, in apostolic times, was of that species of heathenism, according to which the flesh worshipped Jupiter and all the Olympian deities through the works of men's hands. The magistrates of this pagan power were not only individual diaboloi, but the officials through whom the imperial fourth beast Diabolos oppressed tempted, persecuted, and destroyed the saints. All the prisons of the habitable belonged to the Diabolos, whose spies and informers walked about as a roaring lion, seeking whom they might devour. This power is entitled, in Revelation 12 verse 9, The Great Red Dragon that old serpent, surnamed the Diabolos, and the Satan, which deceives the whole habitable. The dragon is the serpent symbol of the power which sought to seduce the faithful from their allegiance to Christ, to cause them to transgress, to cross the line of the law of faith. It was therefore truly surnamed the Diabolos, by the Spirit. It was also the adversary to everything not pagan, and therefore rightly surnamed the Satan. It was adversary to Jesus, and crucified him. 
it was adversary to all the apostles, whom it slew and persecuted, and to the saints for two hundred and eighty years, when it was cast out of the heaven. For further information in connection with this subject, the reader is referred to page 139, under the caption, He is coming with the clouds. This was then the Diabolos, who, the spirit predicted, would cast some of the Smyrnians into prison, that they might be tempted. For all Asia Minor was under its dominion. The purpose of their imprisonment would be to tempt them to abandon the faith. The manner in which the Diabolos tempted is illustrated in the case of Polycarp. When he was apprehended, they sat him upon an ass and led him into the city. The Irenarch Herod and his father Nicetes met him, who, taking him up into their chariot, began to advise him, asking, What harm is it to say, Lord Caesar, and to sacrifice, and be safe? At first he was silent, but being pressed, he said, I will not follow your advice. When they could not persuade him, they treated him abusively, and thrust him out of the chariot, so that in falling he bruised his thigh. When brought before Statius Quadratus, the proconsul, he began to exhort him, saying, Have pity on thine own great age, and the like. Swear by the fortune of Caesar. Repent. Say, Take away the atheists. Polycarp, with a grave aspect, beholding all the multitude, waving his hand to them, and looking up to heaven, said, Take away the atheists. The proconsul urging him, and saying, Swear, and I will release thee, reproach Christ. Polycarp said, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he hath never wronged me, and how can I blaspheme my king who hath saved me? The proconsul still urging, Swear by the fortune of Caesar. Polycarp said, If you still vainly contend to make me swear by the fortune of Caesar, as you speak, affecting an ignorance of my real character, hear me frankly declaring what I am. I am a Christian, and if you desire to learn the Christian doctrine, assign me a day and hear. The proconsul said, Persuade the people. Polycarp said, I have thought proper to address you, for we are taught to pay to magistracies and powers appointed by God all honour consistent with a good conscience. But I do not hold them worthy that I should apologise to them. 
I have wild beasts, said the proconsul. I will expose you to them unless you repent. Call them, replied Polycarp. Our minds are not to be changed from the better to the worse. But it is a good thing to be changed from evil to good. I will tame your spirit by fire, said the proconsul, since you despise the wild beasts, unless you repent. You threaten me with fire, answered Polycarp, which burns for a moment and will soon be extinct. But you are ignorant of the future judgment and of the fire of Aeon punishment reserved for the ungodly. But why do you delay? Do what you please. The proconsul was visibly embarrassed. He sent, however, the herald to proclaim thrice in the midst of the assembled multitude, Polycarp hath professed himself a Christian. Upon this they all, both Gentiles and Jews, who dwelt at Smyrna, with insatiate rage, shouted aloud, This is the teacher of Asia, the father of Christians, the subverter of our gods, who hath taught many not to sacrifice nor to adore. They now begged Philip, the Asiarch, to let out a lion against Polycarp. But he refused, observing that the amphitheatrical spectacles of the wild beasts were finished. They then unanimously shouted that he should be burnt alive. Whilst he was praying, he observed the fire kindling, and turning to the faithful that were with him, he said, I must be burnt alive. The business was executed with all possible speed, in which the Jews distinguished themselves, as usual. As soon as the fire was prepared, the usual appendages of burning were placed about him, and when they were going to fasten him to the stake, he said, Let me remain as I am, for he who giveth me strength to sustain the fire will enable me also, without your securing me with nails, to remain unmoved in the fire. Upon which they bound him without nailing him. The burning, however, not proceeding satisfactorily, the confector plunged his sword into his body, by which his existence was terminated. This account, which is condensed from Milner, may serve to show how the Diabolos was resisted steadfast in the faith, as well as how he tempted the resistance. Polycarp was an elder of the Ecclesia of the Smyrnians in AD 107, when Ignatius visited him on his way to suffer death in Rome. Both Ignatius and Polycarp were acquainted with the Apostle John, and is highly spoken of by Ignatius, who says of him and others, They live as in the presence of the glory of God. Polycarp was put to death sixty years after Ignatius, AD 167.
if he was one of those in Smyrna to whom the Spirit saith, I know thy works, and tribulation, and poverty, but thou art rich. And if he continued rich in faith to the end, which his martyrdom is no proof of, as many of the synagogue of the Satan also suffered. Then he was clothed with the whole armour of the deity, and his examination before the proconsul exhibits the wiles of the diabolos, and how Polycarp stood against them in the armour. Ephesians 6 verses 11 and 16 quenching all the fiery darts of the wicked one, or Diabolos, with the shield of faith. 1 Peter 5, verse 9.